Now, I don't know if we've got any Adele fans um, with us today. Adele, the British uh, singer, songwriter, her latest album, 30, has uh, come out. Um, it's already the biggest selling album of the year, I understand. It only took three days uh, to get there. I've not got it yet. I do have her other um, albums. Um, and she was interviewed by Vogue magazine in advance of it being released. And she said this about uh, what the album was about and what motivated her, her inspiration uh, to, to write it. I just felt like I wanted to explain to my nine-year-old son through this record, when he's in his 20s or 30s, who I am and why I voluntarily chose to dismantle his entire life in the pursuit of my own happiness. Wow, yeah, right? I heard a sigh of, yeah. I mean, that is a lot that she's asking of these 12 songs, right? Try to explain all this to her son. And, you know, I think fair play to Adele. Um, she really does tell it what it's like. Um, I think that's what makes her so sort of popular in one sense. It's not just the, her beautiful, incredible voice, but just her honesty and her openness and her vulnerability in her lyrics. And I really hope that it works, that this album does explain things to her son, that her relationship with the son can be repaired and restored in time. But it did strike me as you hear a quote like that, you just hear it so starkly and explicitly, um, that so much of culture today is being told to like pursue your own happiness regardless of the cost that it might be to others. And actually that is applauded and that is celebrated. And if that's just the air that we breathe today, it's gonna make this passage that we've just heard read out and the teaching of Jesus so hard to get our heads and our hearts around and come to terms with. Just glance down at verse 23. Um, it's on page 1039. Do you have your Bibles open and follow along uh, with me? Verse 23 is the heart of the passage. It's Jesus' central teaching point. And look what he says, verse 23. Whoever wants to be my disciple must what? Pursue themselves? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Take up their cross daily and follow me. And so here we are, we've got culture saying, pursue your own happiness, you're the boss, follow your dreams. And here is Jesus saying, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. The complete opposite. And I know Jesus' teaching you know, often cuts against the grain of culture, but is there anything more countercultural than this? And so, you know, if you're coming, you're here, you might be thinking, like, how do we make sense of this? How do we take this seriously? What does it mean exactly? Why should we follow Jesus here when everyone around me seems to be doing the very opposite? Well, let's find out now. Three things for us to see from this very carefully structured passage. I feel like I'm ringing a little bit. I'm not sure if I am, but if you want to fix that whilst I'm, I'm talking, that'd be great. So this is a very carefully structured passage, verses 1 to 50. At the beginning of the gospel, Luke says um, that he's writing an orderly account. And I just want to show you the order here. I, I put up a slide for us today, so have a look at this. I love things like this. Um, you know, bear with me if you're not really into it. But this is, the, this is verses 1 to 50, and you'll see how we have these three matching pairs, A, B, C. So in verses 1 to 9, the beginning of the passage, and also verses 44 to 50, we get the sending out of the 12 by Jesus and the instructing the 12 by Jesus. Then in the next pair in, we get two miracles, the feeding of the 5,000 and also the 
healing of the demon-possessed boy. And then we come in again to the identity of Jesus in Peter's confession and the transfiguration. And it's all moving and pointing towards Jesus' central command to follow him. Okay? Do you see the order? Do you see the structure? Isn't it beautiful? Perhaps not. Um, it's to me. Um, here are the three key ABC, if you like, for following Jesus today. First of all, follow Jesus. He's the Lord of all. One of the great themes of Luke's gospel so far has been the identity of Jesus Christ. And we can see it again in our passage today. So verse 9, we see it with Herod's confusion. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? We see it again in verse 19 with the crowd's confusion. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But most of all, we see it in verse 20 with Jesus' question to each of the disciples, who do you say I am? The single most important question you can ever be asked. Do you have your answer to this yet? Here's Peter's answer. End of verse 20, God's Messiah. Which is not just a turning point in the Gospel of Luke, because now finally one of the disciples gets to see who Jesus really is. But this is a turning point in the history of the world. Because God's Messiah is here. The hope of the nations. The Lord God himself come to earth. When a guy called Rob Mandino joined my FX Forwards trading desk back in 2001, so this is a long time ago, he looked even younger than me. That was quite a feat back then, because at the time I was 22 going on 16. But the fact that he was so young-looking meant that I thought he was just a new grad on the, on the desk. So I didn't pay him very much attention. But then towards the end of the week, it was announced that the new global head of FX trading was Rob Mandino. And I was not only pretty embarrassed, but... Now that I knew who this guy really was, I can tell you I started paying very careful attention to what he was saying each day. And so I put it to you. Who do you say Jesus is? How would you answer that question? If you just think he's another dead religious leader, you're probably not going to pay him much attention. But if Jesus Christ is the risen Lord of the universe, the author, author creator, meaning maker of your life, is it not wise that we pay a lot more attention to him? And that is why when we get to the transfiguration, which is the matching pair of these two, we get this voice from heaven, God the Father, saying, this is my son, whom I have chosen, listen to him. There's Moses there, representing the law, Elijah, representing the prophets, the law and the prophets of the Old Testament, but no, Jesus Christ is the one with all authority, and from now on, he is the one to listen to above anyone else. There are many voices vying for our attention in London today. And it can be really difficult to know who to listen to, which narrative to trust. But here is a voice that will never let you down. The voice of the Lord God himself, the creator of the universe, the one who knows everything. And he's come to earth to speak to us, listen to him. Some of you are under pressure from your parents not to take the whole Christian thing too seriously. 
got to study hard, you've got to work hard, you've got to get the results, you've got to prioritize your work, if need be, over church and commitment there. Now look, it's important to listen to your parents, it's important to honor them. They're trying to do best by you. But Jesus Christ is the one who truly knows best for you. And we need to deny ourselves and deny our parents sometimes. If they ever go against what Jesus says, he always comes first, prioritize him, follow Jesus, he's the Lord of all. Many of us have been told to look inside of ourselves for meaning, for truth, listen to your feelings, trust your gut, because you are the one who will always know best for you. And if you've been let down by your parents, teachers, politicians, leaders, you can understand why that is such a powerful message today, but I wonder how you're getting on with it. I mean, when I look inside myself, there are all sorts of conflicting emotions and desires. It's hard to know exactly which one you're meant to pay most attention to. My feelings go up and down all the time. I know people who have trusted their gut and got things completely wrong. Jesus Christ never gets anything wrong. You can trust him every time with everything. He's the Lord of all. Follow him. Listen to his word in scripture. Keep following him. Keep listening. And look, I say this knowing how difficult it can be for us, especially when everything inside of you perhaps is saying the opposite. Perhaps when all the pressure from outside is saying the opposite. But look, that is why Jesus uses this imagery of taking up your cross. I mean, what that literally means is that people back then would, would carry on their shoulders the crossbeam of their cross to the site of crucifixion, where they would suffer this humiliating and painful death. And Jesus uses this image for following him. It's not going to be easy. The Christian life is hard every day, listening to Jesus, despite what we ourselves think or what other people say. And Jesus says, deny yourself. It is worth it. Listen to me. Trust me. You can. Take up your cross daily. Follow me. You want to save your life? Lose it. Lose it for me. It's always worth it. It's never wasted. And if that's not um, motivation enough, take heed of the warning in verse 26. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words... The Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Follow Jesus. Listen to his word. He's the Lord of all. Secondly, follow Jesus. He's the Savior we all need. Okay, now we're moving back into another one of these matching pairs. Um, two miracles Luke gives us in this carefully ordered, structured passage. The feeding of the 5,000 in verses 10 to 17, and then the healing of the demon-possessed boy in verses 37 to 43. And what is really striking about these two miracles is the emphasis that Luke places on the inability of the disciples to help out in each situation. And they need Jesus to do it for them. So in verse 12... The first miracle, the 12 come to Jesus and say, look, send the crowd away to get some food. But Jesus doesn't do that, nor does Jesus crack on and do the miracle straight away. What does Jesus say in verse 13? You give them something to eat. And the disciples are like, what with? I mean, I got the five loaves and we got the two fish and I got my Tesco's meal. Did we? What, you want me to go back and get a load more? I mean, the 5,000 men and you had the women and children, they're not very tens of thousands. How come it's impossible for us to feed them? 
and then Jesus does it for them. Then in verses 37 to 39, this poor father begs Jesus to heal his only child from an evil spirit that is destroying him. And we're specifically told in verse 40 that the man said, I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Because there are some things that only Jesus can do. Only Jesus can satisfy his people's needs, the feeding of the 5,000. Only Jesus can ultimately drive out all evil in this universe once and for all. And ultimately, only Jesus can repair our broken relationship with God. You say, hey, why do I say that? Where does that come from? It's not so easy to see that immediately in the verses. But did any of you notice in the reading how Luke deliberately makes reference to the Exodus at several times throughout? And so, for example, I'll give you three of them. Jesus miraculously feeding the 5,000 in a remote place, we're told, verse 12, just like God miraculously provided manna from heaven, bread from heaven, in a remote place in the wilderness at the time of the Exodus. Or Moses and Elijah, they're talking with Jesus at the transfiguration in verse 31 about his departure. And we're told in that footnote A that departure there is the same Greek word for exodus. And in verse 41, Jesus uses this strange phrase with the healing of the demon-possessed boy. He says, hey, look, you, you unbelieving and perverse generation. And that is the exact same phrase that's used in Deuteronomy 32 for the exodus generation. So you put this all together. What is Luke saying? Here is Jesus bringing in a new exodus, a better exodus, the final redemption, humanity's relationship with God restored. Something only he can do. Why would you listen to anyone else? Going back to Adele and her latest album, 30, she also described it like this. I feel like this album is self-destruction, then self-reflection, and then sort of self-redemption. Again, very honest. And the key word here is self. Self-destruction, fair play again to Adele. Self-reflection, that's important. But self-redemption, Adele thinking that it's all down to her, that she's got to make amends, repair it, all, it's all down to her, that is a really heavy burden for her to carry. And what if, it, you know, what if the album doesn't live up to her hopes? What if it doesn't work? What if her relationship with her son is not repaired? Where is she going to turn? What if she can't redeem herself? What then? Which will probably be what album number 40 is called. We need a saviour. We can't redeem ourselves. A few years back, we did a street a survey near Old Street Roundabout. One of, the questions was, it, one of the questions was, if God is real, why would God let you into heaven? If God is real, why would he let you into heaven? I wonder how you would answer that. What have you just said in your, your head to yourself? 90% of people who responded to that question pointed to something to do with themselves. Why should God let me into heaven? Well, because basically, I'm a good person. And I, I've gone to church quite a bit. I try to generally you know, look out for other people. I make the most of life. I, I try and make a difference. There is something deep in the human psyche which thinks we need to prove ourselves to God to earn our way to heaven, that we need to redeem ourselves, that we can redeem ourselves. But Jesus is saying, look, it will be easier for you to feed 10,000, 12,000 people with five loaves and two fish 
than it would be to redeem yourself and repair your broken relationship with God. He is holy. He is perfect. We are sinful. We need forgiveness. Redemption can only come from him. So how did you answer that question? Did you point to something in yourself? Or did you point only to Jesus Christ? If you didn't, if you didn't, if you're still pointing to yourself, you're yet to grasp who Jesus really is, you're yet to grasp what Christianity is really about. Grab me afterwards if that's you. This is especially true, equally true about redemption only coming from Jesus when it comes to the rest of creation too. Um, I don't mean to unnecessarily scare us, but you've probably seen, right, there's a new COVID variant, Omicron, detected in South Africa. Um, the health minister, Sajid Javid, was saying it's causing in, huge international concern. Not much known about it yet, but they are saying that at this stage, it might well be um, more transmissible than the Delta variant and that the vaccines will be less effective um, against it. And there are now a couple of cases already um, in the UK. And so, look, when we hear news like that, you, you might be thinking to yourself, oh, not again. Like another variant. Is that going to mean more restrictions? What's that going to mean for Christmas? What's that going to mean for you? When is this, go- is this ever going to come to an end? And Jesus says, yes, it will. Ultimately, it will come to an end. As easy as he can heal this demon-possessed Jesus can one day easily heal all the effects of a fallen world. Drive everything that is wrong just straight out, just like that, just so simple. Such that there are no more coronaviruses or coughing, there's no more hunger or homelessness, no more evil destroying this poor demon-possessed boy. Listen to Jesus. Follow him. He's the savior all need. Who else are we going to turn to? Who else can make the world the place we want it to be? Now, look, that doesn't mean we don't need to take appropriate measures now. It doesn't mean we don't need to do everything in our power to fight against this new variant. But it does mean more than anything else. We need to keep listening to Jesus, keep following him today. He is the savior we all need. The third and final thing to see from this passage is how to follow Jesus through humble service. The service we see in verses 1 to 9, as Jesus sends his disciples out in mission, and the humility we see in the corresponding section, verses 44 to 50, with some final instructions. Now, I'm conscious that as we come to verses 1 to 9 and we see Jesus sending the 12 out on mission, um, for some of you, this might be leaving you slightly breaking out in a cold sweat because, oh, no, here comes the evangelism part and I really struggle to talk about my faith you know, in, in public or share that I'm a Christian or I don't even know how to share my Christian faith with others. If that is you, remember what we've already seen about Jesus so far. He's the Lord of all. He's the Lord of your friends, your colleagues, your neighbors, the conversations that you have. His spirit can take the most fumbling, nervous words and use them to draw anyone closer to Jesus Christ. He's the savior we all need. Your friends, your colleagues, your neighbors, you desperately need to hear about Jesus Christ. The explorer David Livingstone, who obviously knew a thing about adventure, once said, if a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, How can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? So remember who you are serving, the Lord of all, the Savior we all need. No greater gift you can give to another human being than to share the message of Jesus with them. So this might be the area most of all where you do need to deny yourself, take up your cross, 
and follow him. Notice Jesus sends out the 12 in word and deed, uh, proclaiming and healing. Um, The word of Christ and the love of Christ, they always need to go together. If it's just the word, we can come across harsh, unloving, treat people like projects. On the flip side, if it's just the love, and people may appreciate our help and what we're doing for them, but still left with no idea about sin, the need of forgiveness, Jesus Christ being the savior they need. I'm also conscious that even the idea of sharing uh, your faith with someone else, trying to suggest that what they believe might be wrong, is, is frowned upon today. And we're told, look, you need to respect people's beliefs and leave them alone. But if we think about it for a moment, I wonder if that really holds up to scrutiny. Like, take, for example, those KM believers who um, went to Dallas at the beginning of November because they're expecting JFK to suddenly sort of come back and lead them. I mean, is it really the case that we're not meant to you know, gently, of course, but like point out that I may be wrong on this one, that like JFK was assassinated 60 years ago in front of all the world's... I mean, we should always respect people. Absolutely. All the time. But that is different from respecting everyone's beliefs. We want to put them to the test. And if we are, we're showing respect to them. If we were put us to the test as well. So please, please make the most of the upcoming carol services. December the 12th, December 19th. They are such an easy, wonderful way to give people the opportunity to heal the real message of Christmas. And Jesus, our Lord, is here, our Savior, for us. Be praying for your friends, your colleagues, your neighbors that the Lord has put in your life. Invite boldly. And if they say no, no problem. They said no to the apostles. They'll say no to us. Dust off your feet. Ask the next person. No big deal. All in service of our king. And the humility comes in verses 44 to 50 in three quick instructions. Verse 44, Jesus tells the disciples he will be delivered into the hands of men. He's talking already about the cross He is the Messiah, but it's the Messiah who's got to die. But we're told they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them. What a reminder to us, if we are followers of Jesus here, that everything we get about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, this is not something we've worked out by ourselves. This has been revealed to us by God. Let's be thankful to him and let's let it keep us humble before others. Then in verses 46 to 48, an argument breaks out between the disciples about who is the greatest. It's just hilarious, isn't it? But like, it's all of us. The pride in every human heart, you know, and Jesus says actually it's the one who is the least who is the greatest, the one who's like the child. And the child back then had no status, no rights. And that is an image for us to remember in the week ahead to keep us humble. And then in verses 49 to 50, Jesus says not to stop others doing things in Jesus' name because basically God is not only working through you. He works through others too. So follow Jesus in humble service. This is for everyone, not just the 12. Whoever wants to be my disciple. This is for every Christian believer. And this is not just for Sundays, not just for Wednesday evenings, not just when it feels right to us. This is to take up your cross daily. Total commitment all the time. It is challenging. I feel that challenge. And when we feel that challenge, either from inside our own feelings or desires or from outside from others, let's remember this passage and who Jesus is, the Lord of all, the Savior we all need, and the one who says to each and every one of us now, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, follow me. Let me pray that for us now. Let's pray.
Father God, we thank and praise you for all that you've been showing us through Luke's gospel in this first major section of it. As you draw together these themes of the identity of Jesus and being the Lord God himself, his mission come as our saviour, but also what it means for us to respond to him, and it's very challenging, Lord, where a lot of the times we put ourselves first and think of ourselves and self-focus and the rest. Help us, please, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily, and to follow you. And we ask it for your name's sake. Amen.